habit of this, and you've probably seen it before. If you're a teacher, you've seen it before. He picks the topics you need to hear and then makes you teach them because no one gains so much or has the potential to gain so much for, from a topic as the person who teaches it. Uh, this is one of those. So our topic today is, does everybody hear me okay? Is living generously. So it's not on giving or on money. It's on the whole spectrum of generously. So it's actually reflected, although uh, Getz only goes to it in 1 Timothy, it's actually reflected in both the passages that we're looking at. Uh, now, a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, dignified, hospitable, an apt teacher, no drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and lover of money. Okay, chemistry majors among you, what's AG? Silver, okay, from your periodic table, and they from, from Argyros. A brotherly love, love for silver. So A Argyros, without silver, without covetousness, without avarice. That soul contracting greed and focus on possessions. Okay, well, at least it should be a pretty easy lesson. None of us has to worry about that. Well, maybe not quite so easy as I'd hope, at least for me. <coughs> Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 is the passage that goes into um, God is a provider for us completely. We need be concerned about nothing. And that makes clear that, that this covetousness, this avarice, this greed, giving myself to greed, is in fact, in a sense, to spit in the face of God. To say, God, your promise that you'll provide enough. So notice I put in there God's at least adequate provision. And that may seem a curious formulation. He always promises I'll have enough for his purposes for his glory and my good. Most of the time, and I think for probably most of us in this room, it's far more than enough. It's abundance. It's overflowing. Not only uh, materially, but even more important in an eternal sense, and frankly in a day-to-day -day sense. Spiritually, too, that's part of abundance, but challenges, but at least adequate. Material provision that's at least adequate. And then the superabundant part is his presence. He doesn't stint, God never stints on anything, but he especially doesn't stint on his gift to us of himself. There, we sort of, we're not blessed with it. We're not showered with it. We're afloat in it. Uh, if we're willing to, we, we exist in the ocean of God's presence with us through his word and through his spirit. But by being greedy, by being avaricious, either through fear, I'm afraid that, and this is one that gets me, I'm afraid that I won't have enough, or through lust, I have enough but I want more, which I don't know why I even bother to talk about it because I'm sure that's not the case with anybody in this room. So, but just in case, we'll, we will talk about it. By either one of those, I'm saying, God, you're not enough. Well, what's an antidote to it? In one of the antidotes Paul talks about in Philippians 4.11, not that I complain of want, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. 
I know how to exist with little and be thankful and glorify God. I know how to abound, have lots and lots of stuff, and be thankful and glorify God. Neither of those is wrong. Both of those are from God. And Paul knows how to respond to God and to others in the context of both. In any and all circumstances, I have learned that in hunger, abundance and want. And see, this is one of the verses that makes clear, and I don't want to hear it, that those times of hunger and want are from God just as much as those times of abundance. So I need to recognize that they're from God, that because I'm in straightened circumstances, that is, I may have either through my own miscon- through the member's own misconduct or um, through uh, external circumstances, there may be times when I don't have as much as I would really like to have, don't have as much as I used to have. But that doesn't mean those are not from God. It could be because I messed up. But it also can be, and it all is through the sovereignty of God, from God's hand for my good and his glory. So I've learned the secret of sin and want. And then he concludes with a famous statement that we've, we've all heard. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And then his last point. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And the reason I highlight that, which we'll cover again actually in a couple minutes, is times of need, for most of us, we need to be open. We certainly, we always need to be open to sharing those with God. We probably need to be a bit more open than we are, especially as men, to sharing that with one another. So, I mean, we're not talking, no, I don't, hey, do I have a quarter? Can you uh, lend me some money so I go to Burger King? Not that you can get anything for a quarter, but um, that I need to be willing, if the time arises, to share needs with others. There may be special circumstances, or God may call you specifically to say, don't tell, I don't want you to tell anybody else about this. Everybody, probably a number of you know the story of George Mueller, uh, actually from Germany, who uh, lived in England his whole life, I guess, whole career, uh, his whole walk, much of his walk with God, and started a series of orphanages. And he was convicted of his needs with no one but God. And so he did, his entire ministry. Uh, and his biography is just littered with examples of God's provision, sometimes nerve-wracking, but nonetheless his abundant provision for them, abundant in the sense of meeting the need and more. So, uh, for example, Mueller talks about the fact that he uh, went to bed one night, and he had the visitor, uh, and shared with the visitor, we don't have food for the orphans tomorrow, but God will provide. They woke up the next morning, he was on the porch. How, how did that happen? It actually wasn't, Mueller never knew what God did to make that happen. Years later, after Mueller's death, a man uh, told other people, God had woken him up in the middle of the night and said, you need to provide food for Mueller's orphanage. And he did. So, uh, but for many of us, perhaps for most of us, I need to be willing to share that with other people and share that with the church. The church has a whole ministry to help us in need through those circumstances. So if that's your issue, go to Bob, go to, go to Michael, and, or go to Mickey, who's our benevolence deacon, and 
Hey, I got an issue, something I'm struggling with. Okay, and then another verse, uh, the one in Titus. Uh, For a bishop as God's steward must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Some words, some manuscripts actually use that word in 1 Timothy 3. But probably the majority opinion puts that only in Titus 1.7. But it's guilty, and if anybody grew up with a King James Bible, it's guilty for filthy lucre. Oh, that sounds sleazy, doesn't it? Filthy lucre. What is lucre anyway? It's just money, of course, and material wealth. But is wealth filthy? Is wealth in and of itself filthy? Well, remember we said when I uh, did the teaching on anger, emotions are just there. They're needed to learn how to handle them. Well, money's sort of the same way. It's, it's there. I need to learn how to handle it. I can handle it for God's glory or handle it for my ruin. But money, more than almost anything else, it's tough for us to handle. Money and, and sex are two things and power. I guess there are three things. Really difficult for us as men to handle. If Paul had said there uh, that uh, greedy for filthy vegetables, we really wouldn't have struggled with it a whole lot. At least I wouldn't have. It would have been okay. I could have exercised self-control, a lot of it. But money is a different thing. Could I have the next slide, please? There are two, to me, and this is not really an aspect Getz covers a whole lot in his um, article, there are two aspects of wealth. One is two cautions. One is I need to use it, wealth, and I really would expand it to be use resources. God gives us sort of three major buckets of resources, and they're interchangeable. Uh, Time, energy, and material wealth. So sometimes I can trade those off, and frankly, through my life, as um, other people have pointed out in the past, they, I move between abundance in one category or another. When, for many of us, when we're young, we have no time, lots of energy, and no wealth. When we're old, we have plenty of time. <laughs> I can testify to that. I re- really recommend retirement to you again. Um, Oh, oh, sorry. You guys have to go to work, don't you? Oh, well. Um, well, Joe and I will go out for coffee or something. Um, so I can, I can balance between two, and I tend, God willing, it doesn't have to happen this way, God willing, I tend to have more money, lots of time, but I don't have much energy, as much energy as I used to have when I was young. But my point being that the, all those are entrusted to me by God, and I need to use them in a way to be a blessing, all three of them, all of them uh, for his glory. And I need to avoid being enslaved. Money, again, as much as those other two, sex and power, uh, can enslave me. They can bring me into bondage. Now, being a blessing, Paul or uh, Christ gave the disciples a really odd parable. He gave the number of them. One of them is the parable of the unrighteous steward. And in the parable, you remember it, 
there's a steward, a manager of his master's wealth. And he decides, he knows that his master is going to fire him because he's been embezzling. So he says, I'll take care of this. So he calls in his master's debtors. And, and he has the receipts of debt. And he says, here, you owe my master 100 measures of oil? Line it out, write 50. And so forth. And so building goodwill among his master's debtors for when he gets, gets canned, he can go to them and make a living. Now, does, Christ doesn't enjoin us to be embezzlers, obviously. But he does enjoin us to use our wealth, to send it on ahead, to gain entry for ourselves, in a sense, into the eternal kingdoms by using wealth, by using wealth widely to expand the kingdom of God. So how might I do that? Obviously, giving generously to help the needs of the kingdom, particularly the local church. I, I didn't grow up this way in Christ. I grew up in a parachurch organization. Uh, spiritually, but the local church is, is the focus of God's ministry on earth. It needs to be sort of the, it ha- needs to have first claim on the resources that we have. So another one is giving as part of helping others inside and outside the kingdom. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, do good to others both within and without, words to that effect. So, so giving, in a sense, like giving to the American Red Cross in times of disaster. Within the priorities that God has set out for me, first priority, his kingdom, but within those priorities to say, okay, I can use my wealth to help meet needs for those inside the kingdom and outside the kingdom, meeting human needs. And, and Getz does a really good discussion of this next one, being generous as part of living honorably and attractively. That passage I give you in 2 Corinthians 8 is one where it says, For I seek what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. The example he uses specifically is tipping. Uh, He talks about uh, lots of church folks going into restaurants, and after they leave, the staff talks among themselves, saying, those church folks, they just don't tip very well. Well, that can tend to bring dishonor on the the, uh, kingdom of God. So I need to be attentive to that. Not that I need to be driven by what the world thinks, but I do need to be sensitive to it as part of my testimony to God's goodness. So if I have a situation where it's expected of, the people, of me and the people around me that I will act in a certain way materially, I need to be sensitive to that and give that strong consideration. Getz makes the point if you can't afford to tip according to the cultural standard, you probably can't afford to go out. So go to McDonald's instead. So regardless of that, that's his, that's his view. But nonetheless, I do need to be attentive to those things and live in a way that gives glory to God. I need to do good to display Christ and cause others to give him glory. The passage you know, um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Generous is part of good works as God blesses us. Obviously, keep in mind, again, God's priorities. Meeting my legal obligations. This is a real popular one, especially in January. You're starting to get in all those, those forms saying this is for tax purposes. Prepare for April 15th. Your apocalypse is coming, especially with the new tax law in place. Um, but part of being obedient citizens of the kingdom is being obedient, an obedient citizen 
of the world around us, of the government under which we live. So I need to take those, those legal obligations, taxes, fees, fines even, and pay them on time in the correct amount, and last one, toughest of all, with a good attitude. Okay. I mean, I like it, but I need to honor God. I would return to, and I have, is accepting help when needed. If I need help, and unless God has led me otherwise, let that be known to others around me. Now, this last one I wrote for me. Don't mistake poor stewardship for generosity. It's easy to, let's say, I take you all out to breakfast, and I pay for the whole thing. Okay, I'm I'm not offering to do that, by the way. Thank you, Bob. Yes. Um, So, would that be generosity? Or would that be poor stewardship? Thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. I'll pay that back when you're teaching in a couple weeks. Um, So, again, it's probably hard to communicate because it's mostly my problem. If God has blessed me abundantly materially, sometimes either because I want to display that, which is not a good motivation, or because I'm or for a good motivation because I recognize that the person with, with whom I'm uh, spending time can't or would benefit from me helping them by paying for something, um, or because I'm just not keeping track of how I'm using my money. I'm willing to overspend in that area of being generous when, in fact, I'm just being sloppy and not taking adequate care of the resources that God gives us. So... Again, probably only applicable to me, but if it is a benefit to you, then take it on. Next slide, please. Now, the other side of it, so being a blessing, avoiding enslavement. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, and older versions say, for money is the root of all evil, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the truth, from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. And that word want, as I put up here, is really a focus. If the focus of my life is the acquisition of wealth, then that God, God warns me against that. Want to be rich, want to have enough to display outwardly. And again, that's my focus. And God says that's inappropriate. And here's our old friend, love of silver. Again, that's the same word Paul uses. What could be some symptoms, again, writing this for me, what could be some symptoms that I may be enslaved or have a problem with this? Well, I'm unable to give up or reluctant to share the thing to which I'm enslaved. I really would prefer not to let other people drive my Tesla. I don't have a Tesla, but if I did. And I, on cars in particular, yes, there's a, there's a good reason to, to not be profligate in the use of, your, of this very expensive asset. So that's probably not a good example. But I'm, I've, I'm not willing to share my, oh, think of something, uh, coin collection, not that anybody would want it. Um, now you, 
Or if God calls me to set it aside for a period of time, I'm not willing to do that. That could be God tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you know, this may be out of balance in your life, in my life. Another one, if it inappropriately sucks it down my time, energy, or resources, I might be enslaved to it. Particularly if it distorts my priorities or distracts my focus from God or others. If I allow the obsession to damage the reputation of Christ or of the church, if it becomes so ostentatious that it advertises to others my focus on this thing or these things rather than my focus on Christ and people. And then lastly, if somebody taps me on the shoulder about it and I get mad, that could be a real indicator. Eh, maybe you got a problem here. So maybe I have a problem here. Note that I can be enslaved to good things. It can be a, uh, a positive, a helpful, a healthful athleticism, for example. A health, which is what I struggle with all the time. Um, a healthful thing that I'm enslaved to. It could be a neutral thing. It could be something that's evil for me, and that one's easy. Gambling, for example. Okay, could you roll on to the next one, the last one here? Uh, before I go into the questions, we have, as a church, great resources. Mickey, Bob, others. Um, resources available to us to help in this area, and I give you some uh, Crown Financial Ministries there to help with that. So the three questions. Why do we feel, we collectively, because I think all of us do, so Marty gets up on the pulpit, says, let's talk about giving, my hand goes to my wallet, okay, just to protect it. I, I go into a protective stance. Why do we do that? I do it. Maybe you do too, okay. And this, one, this next one, uh, my table is going to skip. When is enough truly enough? What's your greatest temptation with respect to money or, money or possessions? Okay, to your tables, men.